know, I think anyone who enjoys running outside on trails in the mountains cares about clean air and enjoys breathing clean air while they're exercising outside. And anyone who enjoys running outside enjoys a stable climate. You know, it's getting hotter and hotter and there's more and more days in the summer where it's really challenging to run outside in the heat or the weather's becoming less and less reliable. So those days that you thought you might be able to run, maybe you can't. Um, but I think clean air is probably the biggest thing that everyone really cares about. Kia ora koutou, e te maz crow ia. Ko Matt Raymond tēnei. Ko Eugene Bingham tēnei. Ko Dirt Church Radio mato. Ngā kururu ngaho, mi ngā wātia ngaho. We are super stoked that Rob Bathgate has taken over uh, Wild Things and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of things that will stay the same. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of, not improvements, but things that you can build upon. But one thing oh, yeah. that Rob has said that he is going to keep the same is the fact that you can use the code DCR2021 yes. to get 12 months VIP membership. 15 for, months even. 15 months for the price VIP of 12. membership for the price of 12. Yeah. If you use the code DCR2021, go to wildthings.club, check out their incredible discounts on the shop, check out their peak directory, check out their challenges network, everything like that. I mean, there's not many cool things that's, that end with the word gate, pizza gate, water gate, corn gate mm. but bath gate yeah super pretty cool good. and i mean he's got some great things uh you know lined up to do for wild things um and we just stoked that he this is one of the things that he wants to hang on to the dcr Absolutely. 2021 code so make Damn sure you right. use it take advantage of that instead of getting the little from mal and sal we get the little from rob yeah he, you Fantastic. he's happy you're happy we're happy it's great win 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 yeah yep. wild super. things dot club the other thing you can do during once you've sorted out that, get on to furtherfaster.co.nz because uh, we can't go to their shop in Christchurch at the moment. We can't do anything We're really. Banned, I, really, I've tried screaming I mean, into a pillow band. before. Yeah, staring out the window, mm, all those things. But uh, instead, just I drew jump some on the fir- glasses on the dog in Vivid. Nice, nice. Yeah, he took that well. Um, but get on to furtherfaster.co.nz. Have a look around their store. Heaps of good yep. bargains. Uh, heaps we got of good some ins- gear. Some yeah, good we got some gear. insane. We got the Montane mm. Ultra seam set, stretch ultra uh, seam seal jackets. We got a re up the other day. Yep, just fantastic. You know, uh, you know the kind of service they deliver. So yep. it arrives nicely packaged up. I get it out of the package. I think it's, in, oh, it's man. like brown paper, brown paper and string. Beautiful. I yep. I really love to use this, but you know, it's not raining at the moment. Next day. Biblical storm. Biblical storm. Torrential. I mean, what kind of service is that? That's superb. So I got to put on my seam seal jacket, get out in it, and um, it was great. It was wonderful. Loved it. Those of you in level two, please go into the shop and yep. scream the jingle as loud as you can into Rocky's face. He loves it. Furtherfaster.co.nz they got something like further, faster, there in Christchurch Rocky is hairy and so is Badger Jules is nice and Jack is delicious Go to further, faster now Go further, faster, there in Christchurch Rocky is hairy and so is Badger Jules is nice and Jack is delicious Go to further, faster now Dirt Church Radio
Episode 160, Kotahiro Onotako. We made it. We made it. And it yeah. is Te Wiki o Te Reo Māori. Mm. Yeah, for those of you who are overseas, Te Reo Māori is one of Aotearoa's official languages, Aotearoa's first language, language, in fact. And this week celebrates that. So, kia kaha Te Reo Māori. Indeed. And, yeah. you know, we made it. It's basically a miler, right? 160. Yeah. Where's all the kai? I reckon... You know, this is the worst aid station I've ever been at. <laughs> Actually, it's I mean, not. at least some soup. <laughs> That's right. Cheese sandwich, anything. Anything, this, cup of tea. This is lame. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. It fe- I mean, I'd bring you old... one, but we're still on level four in yeah, Tamaki Makoto in Auckland. So, you know, but it was great to see the rest of the country in level two and people getting out amongst on the trails and in the cafes. I mean, I, I did have those little moments of freakouts. Like especially over the weekend, you know, we need to be having a look at Facebook or Instagram, yeah. or whatever, and you'd see people out running together in the trails. You're like, oh, you know, let's. Oh yeah, you are. That's right. Yeah, you you yeah. you are. You actually are. Absolutely. That's okay. Yeah. Cool. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we're doing the hard yards, and anyway. um, mm. it's all good. But I mean, how good was that chat with Ali Pottinger and Kiri Suter last week? The yeah. squadron. Oh geez, so good to hear the. Uh, the knowledge bombs, yeah. but also just the yarn. Mm. You know, it's it's good to catch up in this time, which is really yeah. difficult with you know, yeah, with good people, thoughtful, and, funny people, and knowledgeable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and see Ali's, that, yeah. You go for it. Well, she's branched out a little bit. Still very involved with Squad Run, but she's set up her own business for her one-on-one coaching clients. So, and you can check that out by finding Stella Run Coaching online or on the old Facebook. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, she's. Very, very interesting. It's a, it's a, it's a diversification. Yeah. Just, yeah. Awesome. This week, mm. we speak to Maz Crow, mm. uh, the lead advocate for uh, Protect Our Winters, um, Aotearoa, which is a group which is keen to help trail runners get involved in preserving and protecting the country's alpine playground, um, a place close to many of our hearts, especially you know in such an alpinist region as Tamaki Makoto. <laughs> I hear in the South Island too, they've got some pretty good mountains. They're but, okay. You know, They're okay, absolutely. really. You know, <laughs> not like Maz, our giants. You know, no, 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 no. I mean, you take the you take the the cable car up to uh, Mount Eden, and yeah. You know, get a bowl of hot soup and then acclimatize That's and right. then run back down. That's right. Fantastic. I mean, getting those skins off your skis. Yeah. You know, just, what are you losers doing up Mount Eden? Anyway, <laughs> Maz. It's an incredible story from yeah. Danivirk to Whistler and parts, all parts in between. Um, she's a runner. She's a ski instructor. Uh, she's probably been a ski instructor first, actually, runner and uh, environmentalist. And this mm. is a really amazing conversation. Yeah. I was very, very, very happy to have. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. No, this... And I'm not jealous at all about um, I know. Her, her time gra- in Colorado. Her greatest run ever. Oh, my goodness. Nah. We both... We both got our sulky faces on, didn't we? That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm happy for you. No, it's lovely. That sounds good. Yep. Nice. Alpine Meadow. Oh, good. <laughs> cool. Yep. Awesome. No, it's a, it's a it's a great conversation. Yeah. How you been, man? Kua kwe eho. I've basically been screaming into the void. That's what I typed down as the placeholder, and I'm going to go with it. I'm just good this week. Like, yeah. This look. We're here, right? This is this is easily the best thing that I've done all week. Uh, it, it just does feel a bit like 
you know, and, and I do feel like a hamster on a wheel because oh. I'm running around on the streets. And uh, last, <sighs> one thing I will say, and, and then we'll, we'll leave it there, is, you know, you hear about the rest of the countries in level two. We're still in level four. Case numbers are falling. Um, some days. <laughs> some days. <laughs> I can tell you that the psychological crisis yeah. that people are experiencing, mm-hmm. I think that wave is just breaking. Mm. Uh, just mm. even not even beginning to crest, actually. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we're under the pump mm. in health services. We're under the yeah. pump in mental health services. Uh, we're under the pump... With the added complication of PPE, we're under the pump and the added complication of we've all got family stuff going on and during a pandemic. So Mm. for those of you who are running around in groups in level four, you know, just please don't because it's actually Mm. it's like it's like climate change. You don't think that your actions actually do impact on those of others, but they really, really do. So Mm. from one sort of slightly tearful, very stressed out health professional to the wider public, I'd ask you, please mm. just do what you can so we yeah. can get out of this yeah. goddamn you know, there awful lockdown. There are some communities that are suffering a lot more than others as well. Absolutely. Like you know? And uh, just be mindful of that. So, yeah. Yeah. And I've done a mm. bit of running. It's been good. Nice. <laughs> what nice. about you? Good to Groundhog Day, I hope. Um, so, like, I, I, you know, I had a, I had a rest week, which was nice. Um, yeah. It was just in the schedule. Um, it's been busy, lockdown, same, same. So, yeah, I did get my second vax. So I'm Excellent. vaxxed to the max, which is great. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was good. And it didn't have any, you know, I had a little bit of a sore arm, but tired. It's battle. Feeling good now. So, yeah, bring it. Cool. Right. Okay. We got an email a wee while ago. Uh, kia ora, Matt and Eugene. Call Brendan Tokuingwa. So Brendan emailed us, explained that he'd just begun his journey in Te Reo Māori and that he's been trying to learn new kupu words associated with running. And he shared with us some of those words and we thought it being Te Wiki o Te Reo Māori, we should share some of them. Uh, we're not going to go through them all, but um, we thought it could start a conversation as well. So I guess we could start with the word for to run, the verb of yeah. run. Oma, you know that one. Well, when I first came to New Zealand as a small, uh, you know, as a primary school kid uh, and in the UK and we had run rabbit, run rabbit, run, Indeed. run, run. And then you, yeah. we, over here we had the song Omarapati, Omarapati. Yeah. yeah, there you go. So Oma, run. There you go, to run. Um, so here are some of Brendan's words. Ara, uh, path, track, you know, picky, climb. So ara is A-R-A. Uh, picky, climb, um, P-I-K-I. Um, what else do we have there that we could use? Maru, M-A with the tohuto, with the, um, what do you call it? Uh Macron, Macron? At the top. R U with the Macron. Easy. I like the sound of that one. That's, I like that's, koha koha, which is exertion. Yeah, that's a good one. That's yeah. a good one. Uh, Maunga, of course. Mountain. Yep. We know that one. Um, Makariri. Oh cold. yeah, cold. So thinking about protect our winters. Yes. Uh, you get out and it's uh, makariri. It's cold. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, I mean, you know, you think of the river. Why Makariri? There you go. 
That's an mm. easy way to remember it. Makariri, cold. Uh, weather is hot, by the way, uh, for the opposite end of climate change. <laughs> um, papa, frost. Yeah. Um, what else do you like there, Matt? Any other I words? like puke, hill, or puke puke, hilly. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Um, so, yeah, this, this, we thought that um, maybe we could really put this co- in our I mean, show notes. Yeah, we should put this in our show notes. It's a really cool thing. And, and Brendan, we apologize. You know, like uh, the email did get a little bit lost in the avalanche of our disorganization. Uh, my disorganization. <laughs> Ours. Yeah. Uh, our disorganization. But look, it, it's, you know, taking the time to, to do this and actually have them applicable and, and it, it adds a lot i yeah. I, I think it, it well, i think we should put it on our website and if people um you know maybe we put it up on our facebook page too and if people want to contribute i mean brendan points out that these are you know it's a work in progress for him and his he's worked a bit with his kayakor his teacher to come up with some of these words and um sometimes um kupu uh, you find them in the maori dictionary but they're not sort of of common usage um, so mm. sometimes it's a matter of finding the, the the most common usage word. So as a learner, you're sort of going, oh, sees on that word, and then you discover it's not one that's often used. But he did send us a really cool phrase. Ke te oma ahau ki te maunga pari pari ni te mia ka ki te kai whakaako ki te haere. I'm running up a steep mountain right now because my coach said so. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, I loved it. So, yeah, Brendan's um, coach had made him do power hiking repeats on a super steep, steep fire break. Yeah. Um, and he finished with a whakatoki, which is a, a proverb. And it, how's this? This is so cool and so appropriate for trail runners. E kori e mau i akwe, he wai kai pakiaka. Right. You will not catch the feel accustomed to running among the roots. Miharo. Kaorawe. So, here we are. Right. Yeah. Just let us know if you have any other kupu. Yeah. Uh, words or ideas, send them in. So, kia kaha, e ma. Thanks, Brendan. Right. Our new jingle. Where did the races go? Where did they go? Where did they go? I lost them somewhere. Long do you have anything, Matt? I do for a change. Yeah. Uh, I well, not for a change. It makes <laughs> it sound like I don't pay attention to anything that's going on outside of my own, out front of my own nose, and, and maybe it's been that way for the last month. But North Americans are still going after fastest known times, like it's gone out of fashion. And Michael Vestig, who won uh, Avaripa Running's inaugural Kokodona two hundred and fifty mile race Ooh. this May. So 250-mile race. Let's that, that sink in. He's attempting uh, the FKT on the Colorado Trail going east to west. Now, they call it Collegiate West. Uh, the most attempts through the Collegiate Mountains are done via Collegiate East because it's lower and less exposed. Hmm. Um, therefore, there's less weather and less chance of stuff going yeah. heckers. Um, there's, and, and to sort of take in the difficulty of that trail, there's one the, the fastest known time is the successful attempt uh, for the Collegiate West, and that's eight days, 20 hours, and nine minutes for 500 miles. As of recording, uh, it, it, touch and go. Mm. Uh, he is, it's t- yeah, it's, it, touch and go, but I mean, he's a beast. So, mm. um, 
will keep you posted. Yeah, yeah. There was, um, looked like an FKT, supported FKT on the west to east direction, um, ah. Collegiate West trial variation by Nick uh, Peter Teller last week, who ran six and a half hours better than Brian Williams' 2017 mark. Um, yeah, but still shy of the um, overall men's supported FKT for the Colorado Trail, held by Michael McKnight. So, ah. seems like a popular trail to have a crack at an FKT on. Yeah, it's super different. <laughs> super difficult. That was from I Run Far, yeah. their report. And there was also, in terms of races, the Ultra, mm. tra- Ultra Tour Monte Rosa, Switzerland last now, week. was that the one that Ruth Cross yes. was volunteering at, at an aid station? It, How cool would that was. be? You roll into an, alt- an aid station. <laughs> oh, hi, Ruth. Yeah. You, she's like, you could probably stand to go a little faster. I mean, it's quite difficult. Yeah. But, I mean, are you, are you really trying? Yeah. No, yeah. No. She look, it looked like she was having a great time and she'd be such a cool um She would be a station, cool, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like she just needs to give you like the West Coast, just the, the look and you yeah. go, oh, get back out at it. Yeah, Thanks. okay. All right, I'll try harder. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks, for, my, thanks for my bottles. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so this was a, the 100 mile race with 11,600 meters. 11,600 I thought that was meters. a typo. That's and like 34,000 like, feet of vert was run won by two British people, the mm. amazing Jasmine Paris in 32 hours, 26 minutes, and Ollie Johnson in 28 hours, 23 minutes. I mean, Jasmine Paris, she's probably not got much on now. She's finished her PhD and mm. breastfeeding. What else? Yeah. yeah. What else you got going on? Yeah. I'll just go and run a 100 mile race at 11,000 meters of vert. Hmm. Um, look, I'm sure we'll be back racing soon. But look, we had uh, something else in our mailbag, Anna from Speed Freaks. So as you know, Speed Freaks, um, based out of Otatahi Christchurch, uh, working with Odyssey House, um, getting people uh, involved in, um, uh, through rehabilitation, involved with running. Yes. Um, and they have been trying to get a program started up in Auckland. And yes. just as they started to get things going, of course, lockdown hits. Um, and, you know, so that's made things a bit difficult. And as Anna points out, you know, the need con- to connect is, is going to be greater than ever through this period. As you mentioned, Matt, uh, you know, our mental health, our physical health, our spiritual health are all need caring for. And Anna says, as I type, I see the model that I've worked with so often in social work. So, yeah, um, I mean, I can talk about this if you want, because yeah, we use sure. it tons in nursing, we use it tons in mental health. Yeah. And it's a model by a, a, a Sir Mason Drury, uh-huh. Drury, who is a, uh, a, a doctor, a Maori doctor and uh-huh. academic. And he came up and it's called Te Whare Tapa Whare. And what it relates to is the four walls of the house, uh-huh. right? So, and it talks about, the four components that, in terms of our well-being, are if the, if one wall is 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 out of whack, the house is going to be out of whack. It talks about uh, taha wairo, which is our spiritual well-being, uh-huh. super important. Taha hiningaro, which is our mental state, so different from our spiritual, it's our mental and emotional well-being. Taha tinana, which is our physical state. Uh-huh. So if we talk about mahi tinana, it's that physical work that we do, going for a run or or, or whatever else. And in terms of, and it, it, it's very specific, and I think it's an indigenous, it's not specific, but it's it's very much interwoven into indigenous mm. health, mm. is uh, taha uh, whanau, mm. family, you know, um, and that's the social well-being. And if we think about 
ourselves in lockdown, if we think about people who are struggling uh, through addiction and stuff like that, all those things, you know, they say in the, you know, in the, the, the blue book for the Alcoholic Anonymous, you know, you can never be hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, mm. right? Mm. Halt, they say. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And you think about the Tapafa, those four walls of the house, mm. you know, that the, they've got to be strong. Mm. So Anna talks about how, you know, that in Ustahi Christchurch, they have certainly felt the impact of, of lockdown on their own lives, but also the ongoing impact that events out of your control have down there. They've certainly felt that. So um, she says, whilst we all feel tired and exhausted, our health workers, superstars of the supermarkets, transport, cleaning and all essential workers continue on. We applaud you and in our, in our own ways prepare for how we can support one another going forward. So for the speed freaks, it means working now to, to onboard volunteers in support of the programs that they want to get up and going, ready for when we are able to get back together again. So look, they're saying um, they want to increase their volunteer coaching team for Auckland. So if you, mm. you don't have to be a pro athlete or have completed ultra distances. You just need understanding and compassion for those in addiction and mental distress. Um, coaches come from varied backgrounds, their own lived experience in mental health and addiction, students, professionals. Um, if there's one thing that lockdown has shown us, Anna says it's that life can change in an instant and we all need connections. So she asked us to um, give a bit of a shout out for volunteers. Um, and as usual, if anyone wants to um, get in touch with Anna, you can contact her, Anna at speedfreaks.org.nz. And we'll put that in our show notes, um, a way to get hold of Anna there at the Speed Freaks. So if you can, if it's <clears throat> something you're interested in doing, even just if you want to find out a bit more about it, uh, get in touch with her. Right. Greatest run ever. Greatest run ever, which is the part of the show where we ask you to write in to us and tell us your greatest run ever. It doesn't have to be a race or a mountain summit. It might just be a run around the block, something that's sung to you for some reason. Please send it in to us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. And this one is from Cheryl Lewis. I like this. Uh, she starts off, Hi, my midweek run. I'm more of a listener, a watcher, or a stalker, as my teens would say, rather than a writer, and I have a pleasant midweek routine of your podcast with coffee in hand. However, I often find that your greatest run ever is a description of epic races, of the struggle, and then success with all the learnings that go with it. Interesting and admirable, of course, but what came to mind today for me wasn't that at all. I don't even see myself as a real runner, and my background, if you're a runner, you're a runner, Uh and uh, my background is checkered at best. I did run in an average way through college, stopped, and then 30 years later, yes, life happened in between, had a short journey to the fringe. It opened my eyes and fueled my heart until I've stopped in my tracks when surgery, separation, and solo parenting consumed me. So fast forward again to 55, older, wiser I hope, and thinking about a more holistic approach to life the well-being of friends and family, and the all-too-regular reminder that life is short. Today, with sun shining, I headed out locally in Wellington to Otari Wilton's Bush. It's a cool gloves and beanie cool. So that in Auckland, that's freezing. Hell yeah. Uh, and I, I park at the, in the bottom car park and drop onto the lower track with the temperature falling further and the familiar, almost comforting smell of damp New Zealand bush. I wind along the new track of the valley floor. Well, she says it wasn't there 40 years ago before popping up via the bridge and steps to the spotlight brightness of sunshine and the warmth it brings to the Karori Cemetery. 
After a moment's reflection and contemplation to mark the sense of place, to recover from the climb and just to breathe, I follow a tar-sealed loop amongst the graves before heading back via what I call my keyhole route, dropping down to be embraced again by the cool and dark of the bush. I'm feeling good, my head is clear, numerous to-do lists fading and reminding myself to look where I'm going so as not to triple slip but also to look up, be brave. That concentration pulls me into the moment and I feel the bush streaking past, gathering me up and as I trot along out into the grass clearing, I realise I'm smiling. No Olympic marathon or three minute kilometres, although that was truly inspiring. In fact, no watch at all, just a bonus midweek outing for a middle-aged runner. Yep, as I get back to the car, I do feel like a runner. One with a sense of calm and appreciation that this place is on my doorstep, waiting and then delivering pure joy. Making it today's best run ever. Well, until Saturdays when the Skyline walkway beckons and I may need to edit this to describe the epic struggle and then success in the Wellington Hills. Wow. Thank you, Cheryl. That's, what a well, that was yeah, lovely. It was beautiful. Beautiful. And, you know, you're absolutely right. They don't, we say, they don't have to be an epic run no. um you know there's that's a great example so thank you cheryl the rest of you send them in although we did get a warning from chris mcdonald who said a very quick note uh to share that when you're running listening to dcr and you tell siri to remind you to write your greatest run ever she might not always get it right i was tonight reminded to write greatest whatever so <laughs> send in your greatest send run your greatest ever, whatever or your greatest whatever whichever suits my greatest whatever yeah. Colour purple. <laughs> I like it. Anyway, on with the show. Maz Crow. Uh, she is the lead advocate for Protect Our Winters, Aotearoa, a group which is keen to help trail runners get involved in preserving and protecting our country's, alp- our country's alpine playground. And I guess more than that, our playground. Because if things go south, um, we can't go outside and run anymore. Um It's a place close to many of our hearts. Um, Maz is also a a ski guide, a runner. She's got some incredible stories and um, talks through this quite, you know, potentially difficult and divisive topic in a really, uh, all really sort of embracing and uh, what's the word? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's it's a a conversation, isn't it? Yeah, encouraging. It's encouraging. Yeah, things to do. Yeah. She's also spent plenty of time in Colorado and Wanaka, so she's seen the impacts on alpine environments. So, yeah. So without further delay, here's our uh, conversation with Maz Crow. Radio. All the way from Wanaka, we are joined by Maz Crow from Protect Our Winters. Maz, kia ora, how are you? Uh, kia ora, great, thanks. Just uh, enjoying a really rainy day here in Wanaka. It's not very often we get rain here, so and kind of view it as a positive event. Yeah, and so much thunder and lightning. It's kind of crazy, yeah. It sort of ties into one of the questions, and I guess we, we'll just launch right right into it, right? Like one of the questions I wanted to ask. Oh, actually, no, first, can you just start telling us about what is Protect Our Winters and um, how the Aotearoa chapter fits into the global movement? Yeah, sure. Um, so Protect Our Winters connects the outdoor community to take climate change, climate action. Um, so we turn passionate outdoors people in, uh, into effective climate advocates, and we do that through creating a community. So... Um, Protect Our Winters, or POW for short, um, began in the States 
and it was started by Jeremy Jones, who's a professional snowboarder, and he was seeing the impacts of climate change and his snowboarding and on the glaciers and stuff and really wanted to sort of take some climate action, but felt like he didn't really belong in any of the kind of current climate action groups that already existed. So he started his own. And then that was, so that was in 2008, and it was going really well in the States and then sort of began branching out to more countries. So now there's power chapters in Norway, France, Canada, Japan, Australia. And um, in 2018, I helped to create the New Zealand chapter. And, yeah, so we've been chugging along for a few years now and um, have some more campaigns coming up and we're growing and growing, which we need to. That's <laughs> We do need to. What is the difference? And I've had this explained to me in the past and I don't, I didn't think I grasped it at the time, between climate change and weather events, because we've had some pretty hectic weather events happening around the country. And it seems to me that they're getting more hectic and more unusual. Like we had flooding up here where we live, you know, you've got thunder and lightning there, massive storms. What's the difference between that and climate change? Yeah, so weather is kind of um, short term. So this weather event we're having today or even you could say this month you would look at the weather and climate is really long term so you'd think about maybe not even this season not even just the winter season but kind of the weather over the past decade you could view as the climate and um, with climate change we see more variable weather events. So you're your group, you're specifically interested in, in winter, or are you? Is that just a way to uh, explain you know, things? We so can, all you, need, can you tell yeah. us? Can you tell us why winters are so important and how they fit yeah, into and what they tell we us? Really, really, we all need winter, um, whether or not you like the snow or not. Um, we need a cold winter, and it does depend on where you live. But for example, when there's snow in the mountains, that's that's a water storage reservoir. And then when that snow melts slowly over the spring and into the summer, then that provides water for the rivers and for the trees and for the farmers that need it for irrigation. And if we don't have a cold enough winter, um, then that water runs off, the snow falls as rain, and then that water runs off during the winter and it's not stored through those summer months. Um, and yeah, but you could think of winter as being snow, which we might maybe more in the South Island or in the central North Island, we have snowy mountains and enjoy skiing and winter events. Um, but, uh, a cold winter is really important no matter, or a cold air winter is important no matter where you live. Mm. It's, I mean, it's, it's all part of the, the whole Ecology, you know, the ecology depends mm. on on there being those seasons, don't they? Especially in the alpine environment, which people love to run in. So, yeah, exactly. And you know, there's all the different trees, and they rely on sort of that signal that winter is over to then um, move into spring. And different species will get 
you know, you could say kind of confused because then it's really warm in the winter and they go, hang on, is it winter? Is it spring? Um, and then they start changing earlier and earlier. Um, yeah. And then especially in the alpine where you're relying on water from the glaciers and everything just happens sooner and sooner. Winter's getting shorter and mm-hmm. spring's coming earlier every year. Mm-hmm. Can you can you tell us why um, trail runners in particular should care about climate change? I mean, as you know, we're human beings. Of course, we should care about climate change. But is there anything particular about trail runners that that you'd like to point out that you know we should we should really care about this topic? You know, I think anyone who enjoys running outside on trails, for example, in the mountains, um, cares about clean air and enjoys breathing clean air while they're exercising outside. And anyone who enjoys running outside um, enjoys a stable climate. So, you know, it's getting hotter and hotter and there's more and more days in the summer where it's really challenging to run outside in the heat or the weather's becoming less and less reliable. So those days that you thought you might be able to run, maybe you can't. Um, but I think clean air is probably the biggest thing that everyone really cares about. And that's um, just this really common common ground that everyone would share. Um, but also as trail runners, we're often spending time in the mountains and we see the changes and the impacts of climate change up there. And it's almost our responsibility to then communicate those changes that we see um, to the people who aren't able to experience those mountain environments potentially. Uh, right. So it's almost a, uh, that sense of kaitiakitanga, like it's almost like Exactly, a, yeah. We're right. protecting those places that we love and enjoy to spend time in. And, and not everyone actually gets to spend time in those places. So if we're seeing changes there, yeah, it's like our duty almost to talk mm. about those changes. Mm protect those places. Uh. So big picture, I mean, sorry to ask about <laughs> broad brushstrokes. I mean, where are we at with climate change currently? Uh, the thinking, what needs to happen, and ultimately, how will this affect us? I'm sorry if that's too big a question, but again, it, it seems such a, much like most of the, not meaning to be a pun, hot topics of our time, um, it seems to be one that's based on it's it's a political one. It's a very divisive one. I mean, but where 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 do we sit with it? Yeah, and and that's why it's sometimes challenging to speak up and act or advocate for climate action because it does just seem like such a big, overwhelming topic, and and sometimes it's not very tangible for a lot of places in New Zealand. It, it can seem like you're maybe not impacted by climate change. It's this big thing that's happening like out in the atmosphere somewhere and maybe impacting people in the Pacific, but not you in general. Um, but we're really, we're definitely at kind of a tipping point right now. And I don't know if you guys heard about or read the latest IPCC report that came out about a month ago. Um, but it's pretty it's pretty sad, really. You know, they don't beat around the bush. There's the scientists and the people that wrote it who, who come from every single country in the world who made that report um, speak very clearly about 
the science. And it's not that complicated. Um, the world's getting hotter and it's humans that are making it hotter and we need to change it right now. You know, you don't need to go into the, the details, but um, we need to take action immediately and, and we need to reduce emissions very quickly. Is that the one that says that we're like, they've got the, 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 the clock almost, isn't it? And that's, is that the one, or is that the nuclear one where we're at like, t- there's a couple of clock concepts and we're like at two minutes to midnight. Is that what that one was? Yeah, I haven't seen or heard of that kind of imagery. Um, but yeah, you could say we've got two more minutes maybe to, <laughs> to act. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we, need, how- we need, you know, we need to be acting right now or yesterday. Like, yeah, yeah. we don't have time to sit around and think about it anymore. Sure. We've, I mean, we've spoken on the show before to Damien Hall, um, ultra runner from uh, Great Britain, who's, who's again, very, very keyed into, um, you know, the issues around climate change. And he talks about sort of how systemic change is ultimately what is going to be beneficial. But how, as individuals, I mean, how do we generate positive, you, you talk about positive climate outcomes. I mean, how, how do we do that? What's a positive climate outcome that I can or anyone can affect? Yeah, so that's a good point. And um, often there's a lot of pressure put on individuals to lower their carbon footprint and that you can't, you know, maybe you took a plane last year and therefore you can't speak no, out I about didn't. climate action. <laughs> no, yeah, a lot of people didn't actually last year. Oh, no, we did. We went to Kepler. We absolutely, we yeah. went to Kepler. Yeah. No, we did. Sorry, I apologise. <laughs> we did. Maybe not an international trip last year. Defo not, no. Um, And, yeah, so there's a lot of um, criticism sometimes and people can be quite easily labelled a hypocrite and they can be made to feel like they are not able to speak out about the need for climate action because they're not perfect and they had a carbon footprint, which no one's perfect and everyone, you know, unless you live in, in the woods under a tree and forage for all your food and don't buy anything you know no one's perfect and has a zero carbon footprint um so that shouldn't make you feel like you can't advocate for action climate action and really i could not fly which i I don't you know haven't much in the last while um you can eat a plant-based diet which i mostly do you cannot drive, which I don't have a car. You cannot buy anything new, which I don't I buy very few new things. Um, but that's not actually going to really make much of a difference. We all should um, examine our individual actions. But really what's going to make big change when it comes down to it is um, policy. And we need policies in place that make those big change. You know, we can all become vegan. All of us can walk and ride bikes everywhere, but actually that's still not going to make enough difference. And we need big change on a big scale, and that comes from policy and mm. government. Mm. It's sort of it's that um, it's that balance, isn't it? Because you 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 feel like you should be doing something, and you, and you do, and you make those individual little choices yourself. You try and. Uh, uh, manage, you know, change your behaviour to be more sensitive to the climate, to the environment. Um, but still, it's going to be those big systemic um, things that make a big difference. But we can we can make a difference to that too, don't we? Can't we? How 
what are the things that you suggest that, that we need to think about in terms of how we can affect change that way? Yeah, so um, I think the biggest thing that any individual can do, well, it's just, it is the biggest thing to do, is to vote. So this year there's no elections, um, but next year there'll be local elections. And so you can vote in that local election and you can find out which candidates have um, the strongest climate policies and contact them, reach out to them, let them know that you'll be voting for them based on their climate policies. Um, so that's really a pretty easy individual action that you can do um, to then create that systemic change. And, and that's really sort of about uh, participating in that civic, like your civic duty. Um, but then you can think about these individual actions and then try to move them into a bigger scale. So um, a good one is composting. So um, if you have your green waste, go to landfill. Uh, when it decomposes, it releases methane. And methane is a very potent greenhouse gas um, that contributes very significantly to global warming. Um, so you can compost at home, and you should. And that's, that's a great thing to do. But then how can you scale that? So um, thinking kind of in the trail running community, maybe you're organising a trail running race or you're participating in a race or event of sorts. So could you get that event to compost? So now you're kind of having this individual action that's been scaled. And then everyone that attends that event sees that they're composting and then gets that idea and then maybe all the other running events around New Zealand begin composting. And then could you, where do you work? Like could you begin composting at your workplace? If there's no municipal compost collection, could you then contact your council and ask for that? Um, another example is... Uh, banking and investment. So everyone has a bank account, or most people do. I think all trail runners have hmm. some money. <laughs> and um, where that's kept, you know, if you're banking with Westpac, for example, not, you know, not trying to point fingers or anything, but they're taking that money, even if you've only got a few hundred dollars in your savings account, they're actually taking that money and they're investing it somewhere. And um, they might be funding a fossil fuel project with that. So in New Zealand, there's a few smaller banks. Um, and then there's Kiwi Bank that have uh, policies around investing in fossil fuels. So a really easy thing for you to do would be to change who you're banking with. And then, again, thinking about scale, like do you belong to a club that has a bank account? Could you get them to move their money? Um, where do you work? Where where are they banking? Could they move their money? And then Kiwi Saver. So where's your Kiwi Saver? A lot of people, it's really easy just to, you know, through no fault of your own, they just sign up to the default Kiwi Saver when they're 18 because they've got a form put in front of them and they tick the box. And I'd say many people actually have no idea where their Kiwi Saver is and what it's been invested in. Um, so there's a few really easy tools out there for you to find out who your KiwiSaver is. Are they investing in fossil fuels? If so, 
move it to a fund that's not investing in fossil fuels. Mm. Do you know, I just had that conversation with my KiwiSaver provider. I was like, I got really worried that, you know, my KiwiSaver was going to like smart bombs pretty much. Um, I didn't want to fund, you, you know, I didn't want my money to be being invested in, you know, uh, bombs that people would catch, yeah, right? Yeah, I don't want my money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Um, and I had that conversation. I, they rang me for some reason, like just to check in, which is odd. They've never done that before. Um, but I was like, look, I, I don't mean to be rude, but it, is this going towards bombs and guns and, you know, like things like that? And it was really reassuring that they were saying, no, you know, we're actually starting to, uh, or we, you know, if nothing else, they've they've seen which way the wind's blowing you know, pardon the pun again. And, um, yeah, they're investing sort of, they're not investing in fossil fuels and, you know, tobacco and, and, and smart bombs. Cluster Blowing bombs, towards you know. the wind turbines. That's the way it's blowing. That's right. There you go. Yeah. How, how do we get alongside, Mike, and, and this is an additional question, how do we get alongside people? You know, this is in a, a largely, you know, it's, it's a farming nation, right? It's an incredibly hot button topic for people. Uh, again, it can be incredibly divisive. We, we've had, you know, and, and there's members of our community who come from farming stock, who still, you know, practice farming, who who do provide and take immense pride and sort of ownership of, of what they do. And how does one engage in those conversations with with people and, 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 and not, um, I guess, do it in a manner which is comes across as you know they're sort of being hectored or browbeaten yeah you're not really going to get anywhere by pointing fingers um and that's really what power's about is about creating community and instead of being like oh but you flew and you drank milk and you know that's a waste of time we're not this is this is a crisis and by pointing fingers we're not going to solve it um i actually grew up on a dairy farm and my parents (laughs) worked a lot and I really appreciate the work ethic that the general agriculture community has and what they bring to this um, country. Um, and really the way in which you're going to have an effective com- uh, conversation with anyone is to find some common ground. So that's where we can unite over a common passion for the outdoors. A lot of people working in the agriculture industry, they, you know, they spend time outside. They're well and truly aware mm. of the impacts of climate change and the, the changing weather patterns that we're seeing. Um, they're not burying their head in the sand. But find something that you have in common and then talk about that. You don't even need to talk about climate change. But a lot of people have kids. That's a real. That's actually a very effective way to talk to someone is to talk about their kids and the future that they'd like to have for their children. Um, but then talk about what they like to do outside and how mm. they enjoy spending time in the outdoors and begin the conversation that way. Mm. I think that you're right in that people who spend a lot of time, you know, in farming environments and so on and, and on farms, um, you know, you'll find love the land more than any, you know, and mm. aware, aware of the, the environment much more than anyone who lives in an apartment in, in, in central Auckland, for instance. So so it's not like... Um, 
doesn't have to be that divide that some people want to create. They they want the, for there to be a, a division, but actually, you know, often people yeah. aren't aren't staring at each other across battle lines at all. It's just like how do how do we do this? How do we come together and have these conversations? And how do we advance things? Um, yeah. So I th- I, yeah, I, th- I, I you know, it's it's just communication, isn't it, in conversations? Yeah, and I think you know every industry. Every, every person, every community, every town, every industry has a role to play in solving this problem. And I'd say there's some maybe more committed than others. Mm. Um, but at some stage, every single person, including the dairy farmers, are going to have to step up and change. And, and they know that. And, and to make change sooner is probably going to cost less. So... I think a lot of them are willing to to make changes. They just need a little bit of help and um, assistance to make a just transition. So mm. they're not having to make those changes overnight, um, but they get resources and help to make those changes. Absolutely, yeah. And just bring it back to to running. Um, you know, you were talking about the the changes that we can suggest as runners, and it's been interesting to see over the last few years, hasn't it? The change to paperless, ah, it's not paperless, cupless races. Mm. Um, you know, there's so many more races just don't have cups. You've got to bring your own cups. So we, we reduce the waste. Um, Matt mentioned um, Damien Hall and when we talked to him, he talked about the uh, trees, not teas movement. Yeah, um, the trees, the teas. Yeah, 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 it's really good. Yeah. And I wanted to try to suggest that to a few events here. I've done some races in the States and it's, drives me nuts because it's such a cultural thing. Everyone does the race and they really want a T-shirt. And then I did four races in Colorado last five, I don't know, and got a T-shirt for every single one. And then they're just sitting in a drawer or they're going straight to the op shop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I'd way rather plant a tree instead Mm. of getting a T-shirt. Yeah, I think that's something we could really easily implement in New Zealand. The race that I, and I'm not sort of jumping on the bandwagon, but we, we were having that discussion. Um, you know, we, we do teas that you order them separate and, and, and it's something that, that not everyone gets. Um, it's not a default It's not thing. a default thing. And, and we don't, we never do medals. So we never do medals either because, you know, they've got to come from somewhere. I will make, if someone gets really at me about a medal, I'll make them one. And I've done that before. <laughs> And it's a medal of my choosing, and you get to you get presented it at the finish line. It's normally like an old CD or something, or uh, a crochet a crocheted one, yeah. uh, chicken. But we're um, we're going to start doing that. We're going to start planting trees. So every entry will be a we'll donate or, or we'll plant a tree. So it's, it feels like a good thing to do. Yeah, I'd way rather pay for that than yeah. pay for a T-shirt that mm. I don't actually want and maybe came from China and mm. was printed on plastic. And, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I reckon a lot of people would. Yeah. Totally, yeah. How do we combat that in the – sorry, just thinking about the outdoor. Like we love planned obsolescence. And you're – I mean, you're a runner and a skier and you ride a mountain bike. Come on. I mean, <laughs> this is the thing, isn't it? Like – and I've – been two of those three things I've not really skied, but I rode a mountain bike for years. And this, the out, you don't make money with not without planned obsolescence, right? How do we, as people who engage in the sport or the outdoors lifestyle, what, what do we do about that? Um, so I think choosing your purchases carefully. 
um, is really important. So some brands, for example, have a really great warranty and repair programs. So I think, first of all, think about if what you're buying, you actually really need it. And could you buy that secondhand instead? Um, I kind of, last year I turned into a trail runner, sort of my first year as a trail runner. And I got a really sweet, sweet running pack. And I got that second hands online from someone who I was too big for. Um, I went through four pairs of running shoes and I got them all second hands. And shoes are actually a really easy thing to buy second hand because a lot of people buy them and they're just a little too big or a little too small. They wear them twice and then they sell them and they're right. way cheaper. Um, most of my shoes cost $30 or something that I bought last year. Um, so think about if you actually need the product that you're going to buy and then could you get that same thing secondhand? Um, and then if you are going to buy something, buy it from a company that offers a really good warranty or repair program. Um, and then if you keep your gear looked after, if you look after your mountain bike, it's going to last longer. Um, if you get it serviced regularly, if you, yeah, I think just looking into fixing things, a lot of people give up really quickly. Yeah. Like, oh, my jacket's got a hole in it. It's toast. I'm going to buy a new one. Yeah. And I guess that's the thing, isn't it? It's an asp- It's the aspirational part of it too, right? Like, and I think especially cycling, I'm not sure, in, in skiing as well. You know, I could save this amount of weight with this carbon wheel, you know, and you go, actually, I could lose 10 kilos and my, <laughs> you know, I could make some changes individually. However, that belies personal responsibility and I want the $1,000 wheel because it's also, it's a bit statusy as well. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting, yeah. you know, it's an interesting yeah, or thing. Yeah, just carry less water and then it's less. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. Go to the loo just beforehand. Um, that's right. Or some companies are now making uh, products out of recycled materials as well. So that's an option as well. Just check, you know, see is there an option yeah. to buy something that's made from recycled material. It's worth the time to investigate the brands that you're buying products from mm. and then buying from brands that support your values and are working towards a circular economy and reducing their impacts and being vocal about climate change and the need for action. Um, Mm. Yeah. So you mentioned last year you became a trail runner. That's because you had your first winter, uh, your first summer in nine years. Yeah. (laughs) Tell us about that. I mean, We've talked a lot about climate change. We've talked a lot about kind of, you know, the the big stuff. But, like, I mean, how do you go from – how was that, your first summer in nine years? Um, You know, it wasn't that bad. (laughs) I've been kind of um, afraid of the heat for a long time. I'm I'm a skier. I followed back-to-back seasons going from uh, New Zealand to Colorado and then um, kind of with the pandemic last year ended up I thought it was going to be over with kind of soon. And so I thought I'd just stay in the States a little longer until it ended and then it hasn't really, which is kind of funny. Um, And, yeah, so I was like, okay, I'm doing summer. I'm going to have to choose a new sport. Can't ski. Um, And so, yeah, running was kind of my new sport that I chose to take up. And 
with skiing, I've kind of been really into ski adventures and um, backcountry skiing and using skis as a mode of travel to get to really cool, less accessible places. And so it kind of transferred to running really easily because you can, it's so amazing where you can get just with your feet um, and the places you can see and the new environments that you can explore and stuff. And um, yeah, so now I'm now I'm a runner and a skier. I'm still a skier, but um, depends on the day if I introduce myself as a runner or a skier. On the crowd. Yeah. And the backcountry skiing um, with cross-country skiing and so on, there's a lot of cardiovascular benefits for running and vice versa, isn't it? It's sort of, do you find it similar in that way? Yeah. Um, so I had been doing um, some ski mountaineering races, which they're not very common in New Zealand, um, but they're pretty popular in the States and especially so in Europe. So those will be races where you'll ski up a mountain and then ski down it. Um, when I say ski up, you use um, special skis and boots that allow your heel to lift up so you can walk. Your toes attached to the ski, but your heel is not. And then on the bottom of the ski, there's what's called a skin. And it's, they're called skins because once upon a time they were made from animal skin. And they're kind of like patting a cat. So they're quite smooth one way. So you can slide up the hill with them. But then they're rough in the opposite direction. So you are caught and you don't slide back down the hill again. Um, so you'd skin, ski up the hill with your skins on and your heel unattached, and then you get to the top of the hill and you take the skins off and you attach your heel down and then you ski down the hill and then you'll go up the next hill and then down again and then up and then down. Every course is different. Um, some are kind of more flat-ish and you wouldn't transition from uh, going up to down as often and some are quite frequent so it's almost like a a triathlon and that the transitions are really important you have to be quite efficient at changing from uphill mode to downhill mode um but yeah a lot of people who do those sports are actually just the ski mountaineering races they're really just runners and they they don't really know how to ski so it's kind of funny because you pass a lot. I would pass a lot of people on the downhill because right. they're kind of flailing <laughs> all over, but then they'll just jog right by me essentially on the uphill because they're super fit. Um, but yeah, so taking that fitness into summer and then running is pretty handy. And then the opposite back into winter again and then being fit for ski mountaineering straight away. Mm. Do you? T- I, I see a, I mean, do you take the ski off when you take the skin off? How do you do that? Yeah, it's pretty cool actually and you can get quite efficient at it. Um, if you're good, you can and have a little bit of flexibility, you can take it off without take you can take the skins off without taking the skis off. How does it is it like a velcro uh, not velcro obviously, but is it yeah, like it, it's it, got a kind of glue on the bottom. Right. So um yeah, and then it's attached to the top with a kind of little notch. And you'd unattach the notch and then peel it back from the toe towards the heel and then <clears throat> lift it up. What do you do with it then? 
uh, then you usually actually just tuck it in your top um, right. because you want the glue to stay. First of all, you're trying to save time. So um, that's the fastest place to store it is just to chuck it in your top. Um, but you actually want the glue to stay kind of warm. Right. So it sticks again for the next uphill. So then you ski down and then with the skins tucked in your top and then you get to the next uphill and you take them out and then you do need to take them off to reattach them. I am picturing myself like a beetle on my back with my legs yeah, in the just air. Like, like, his legs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of people look like that, just flailing <laughs> all around, skis in the air. Yeah, yeah. I, that would be me, totally. I think about uh, Killian Journey and I think about Anton Kopitschka. And didn't yeah. Mike Foote, he set a, yeah. a record, I'm sure it's gone now, but he didn't kill, I think Killian took it. Was He He did the most like vertical Ascent in 24, in 24 hours. hours. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's been a few of those attempts. I think the records are kind of breaking almost every season. Um, but there's uh, a hill quite close to Aspen in Colorado where I've been based. And it's kind of just deep enough that you can kind of get some vertical on it, but just short enough that you can transition kind of quickly and get enough rest. Because every time you switch from going up to down, it's, it's actually kind of a rest. And then, so a lot of people try those attempts on that hill and they'll have this kind of like big trail running events or FKTs and they'll have a lot of paces going up with them, cheering them on and then other people um, setting up their skis at the bottom of the hill so they don't even actually need to take their skins on and off. They just hop into the new set of skis and then take off straight away again. Um, yeah, there's been quite a few attempts at the 24-hour vertical challenge. It, sound, it sounds hellish. It sounds like a, a completely bonkers sport. <laughs> how did you? How do you go from uh, growing up on a dairy farm to schemo in Aspen, Colorado? Oh uh, yeah, that's kind of not not exactly a straight line. Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't ski growing up. Um, Where did you grow up? Uh, in Dannyburg, which is a small town on the North Island. Yeah. Great Viking stock. And not, I don't know. Um, I kind of participated more in traditional sports, so netball, cross-country, swimming. And then when I went to uni, um, skiing became a bit more kind of accessible because um, I joined the ski club and they um, had lots of clever ways of making skiing kind of cheap. And um, then joined the ski club, did some skiing, thought it was awesome. And then in the summer holidays, went and worked my first holiday in France and got a job as a waitress at a hotel in a ski area there. And then kind of stumbled my way through the season, learned some French. I, I spoke French before, but then kind of like actually learned how to speak French when I was there. And then skiing too, just kind of threw myself down the hill and eventually figured it out. And then, yeah, I actually thought I was quite good, which is kind of funny because I definitely was not. Um, but then thought I could go teach skiing. And actually, my initial motivation for becoming a ski instructor is I thought they'd give you free skis 
and that they don't. But um, <laughs> and then I, I also just had no idea about anything. But I have been told that Whistler was a cool place, and turns out it's the biggest ski area in the world. But I had no idea, so I went to Whistler and got a job teaching skiing, and was told I wasn't a good enough skier to actually go on the chairlift, and so I was designated the three and four year olds only, and um, just hung out on the uh, the bunny hill with the very small kids, and I I loved it, thought it was great, and then got training to be a ski instructor, and that's where I kind of actually learned how to ski, was through that ski instructor training, and then, um, yeah, just wanted to kind of go explore more, and it's through backcountry skiing that you can do that, and um, the skis and the technology just kind of getting better and better and um, got some touring skis and kind of one thing led to another and then there's some pretty cool races in Aspen that um, just it's pretty accessible and it's right there and then did, did a few races in, in town really um, and did that for the last few years yeah Right, so you turn like, up to... Oh, yeah, and then, so then I went from Whistler to Aspen, I guess. So France, Whistler, Aspen. So I did a little bit of a tour of the world skiing and my summer holidays at uni. Wow. And what did what, what's your, what was your degree in? Uh, a physio. Yeah, I'm a physio. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, yeah. So I guess skiing and physiotherapy go uh, quite well together because you're going to be given your tendons a bit of a bend in regardless of how good you are at some point, right? Yeah, it's um, it's actually really handy because I've kind of had sort of two jobs for quite a while. I've worked as a ski instructor and a physio and they both really help one another. So the physio helps me with my ski instructing and I'm able to sort of give appropriate technique tips and whatnot um, because of my sort of anatomy and muscle knowledge. And then with physio, especially in Monica, when people come in and they're like, oh, I fell skiing, I was turning right and then did this and then I can, um, or a lot of people, their goal is to get back to skiing after an injury. So it's really handy to have an in-depth knowledge of skiing for physio and physio for skiing. Yeah. Mm. And and running wise as well. I mean, runners are known to occasionally visit the physio as well. Yeah, and um, and they're quite well known to not listen to the physio. You could <laughs> oh, say. What are you talking about? <laughs> Let's just leave the climate change. That's probably the most <laughs> yeah. contentious thing that you yeah. have said, um, Naz. It's, it's through skiing that I got mostly um, concerned. Like I definitely was just seeing the impacts of climate change really firsthand. But then it's through running that I then saw a lot of different effects. So last year in Colorado, we just had crazy um, smoke-affected days. Like Colorado is, I mean, there were forest fires in Colorado. And there would be days where you, you couldn't go outside running because it was too smoky. And then there were days that you couldn't go outside running because it was too smoky because California was on fire. Like, thousands of kilometers away 
Um, so sometimes your fire is right next door and sometimes your fire is a long way away. And there were many, many days where um, I wanted to go running but would be advised, you know, the kind of alerts would say we recommend that people stay indoors today because the air quality is too poor. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Is that, so that's, I mean, is, is it those sorts of personal encounters with the changes that we're seeing in our environment that have, you know, sort of um, prompted you to become an advocate or what was it that, was there a turning point? You know, what, what made you decide to say, yeah, I'm actually going to do something about this or at least try to? Um, yeah, I guess through my time in Colorado, I'd seen how effective how had been there and really, really engaging with the outdoor community, with athletes, with brands um, to share like the climate advocacy messages and thought that New Zealand could, like the New Zealand outdoor community could really benefit from that because a lot of my friends and other people in the outdoor community in New Zealand, no one's really in denial about climate change. Like no one's sitting around saying it doesn't exist. Um, But there's a lot of people sitting around concerned about it, but not acting. And this kind of general sense of apathy. Mm. Um, And that's what power kind of tries to address. So we try to provide community-based solutions and a platform for people to take action. And we share our messages through um, the athletes and the brands um, to that community. Because there are, there are um, some I, good trail ambassadors, aren't there, in the States? Mm. You know, Dakota Jones and Claire Gallagher and Stephanie yeah, Howes. Um, mm. Associated with Power, uh, I mean. Claire Gallagher is pretty cool. Um, she does a lot of advocacy work and she's um, one of the coolest things I think I've seen her do is, um, and I did it the other day, so I called my local MP. I emailed them first of all. So that's a a call to action we have right now with POW is um, to send the IPCC summary report to your local MP and then to ask them what their plan is to act on climate in your region or your electorate. So my local MP uh, is Jackie Dean and I emailed her and I said, hey, Jackie, I'm really concerned about climate change. I'm sending you the the latest IPCC report. Um, Can you please get back to me and let me know how you're going to address this issue? And it's an MP's job to represent the people in their region. And if they hear from a lot of people about the need to act on climate change, it's, it's their job to listen and then to act on that. And so they're really used to hearing from certain people and certain groups. And now they're hearing from the outdoor community a lot. So um, I didn't hear back for a few days. So then I called her and and now I've heard back. Um, but Claire does a lot of really cool videos where she's um, – just out running around and she'll call up her, you know, in the States it's a, a senator and she'll be like, hi, it's Claire Gallagher just calling to ask for climate action. Thanks, have a good day. And then there's another video of her doing her Swiss ball hamstring exercises and she's like, hi, it's 
Cleo Gallagher again, just calling you to act on climate. Thanks. Um, so she's done a lot of really cool work just showing how easy it is for you to get in touch with your representatives. Um, and then Dakota Jones, he rode his bike from Durango, which is a town in Colorado, to Pikes Peak, and it was about 500 miles to ride his bike. And he just kind of did it as a statement. But then he won the Pikes Peak Marathon and then he rode his bike back again. And then he went and talked to his senator or whoever the uh, representative was. And he told that story and he said, um, you know, I shouldn't have to ride my bike 500 miles to, to make a difference for climate action. And um, the senator said it was the most memorable, um, I don't want to say speech, but like time he'd spoken to anyone about climate action was when he spoke to this pro trail runner who rode his bike 500 miles and then won a marathon. So athletes are really trusted messengers and mm. their voice carries a lot of weight and a lot of power. Um, and, and that goes for kind of when you're speaking with leaders but also with the kind of general community and i guess i mean in terms of you know political weight or, or or whatever both those athletes are backed by massive multinational companies you know it's 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 not like they're running around and and this is you know no you know to you know your local adventure store or whatever you know it's like these are two of the biggest companies in in that adventure space in on the planet you know, lots of pull behind them, and just yeah, it's uh, no wonder people, you know, kind of, kind of listen. Mm. Yeah, so I can I can call up my MP and ask for climate action, which I should, and and everyone should. Um, but what carries even more weight is then when a big company calls them and asks for climate action. So when um, I know, say in Wanaka, if Kadrona. Yeah. Ski area called Jackie Dean and asked for climate action. You know that then they're, they're really going to listen when those big brands and big companies begin calling them as well. Mm. Mm. I'd call my MP and I'd have to preface it by saying, "Hey, I'm the guy who put the massive billboard on my property so that every time you drove in and out of Riverhead, it was the first thing you saw and the last thing you saw. It was in your rearview mirror when you were leaving, and it was in your windscreen when you were coming, and it was for the other party uh, that's now in government." <laughs> but tell me what you can do about climate change. I don't no, think really, um, I don't think you'd be very happy. We've actually got a template, and it's really easy. And we just kind of encourage people to share a bit about themselves and the outdoor places that they love. So, um, you know, hi, my name is so and so. I really enjoy trail running. My favorite trails are these trails and these trails. Um, I'm really concerned about climate change and how climate change might affect me, my family, and these outdoor places that I enjoy. Um, please let me know how you're going to protect these places. Because it's, cool. it's, it's those almost eyewitness accounts that can be so compelling, can't they? I had an experience earlier in the year when I was down at um, Awaraki Mount Cook and uh, we, there was nobody there, of course, thanks COVID. Um but uh, we were on a track and we got talking to one of the dock guides who'd been there and been a mountaineer as a teenager. And as he stood there and sort of pointed out the, the, 
the creep of the glaciers in his lifetime. You know, mm. it was it, you couldn't help but feel like there was something horrible happening to our planet. You know, um, and it's those sorts of stories and that sort of yeah, you know, as, as I say, eyewitness accounts that that have an impact on people, don't they? Yeah, there's a lot of evidence actually about that, and I'm kind of coming back to talking to someone who maybe does share a different viewpoint to you and finding that common ground is that a personal story is worth and carries so much more value than some statistics. You, you know, you mm. could talk about yeah. how there's 450 parts per million and the, the, you know, the polar bears are dying at this rate and sea levels risen by 30 centimetres. Yeah. That actually doesn't really mean anything. What you need to do is talk about how your favourite local trail has been impacted by coastal erosion yeah, mm. and frequent floods and how it's washing out because yeah. um, the rains have been so sort of uh, inconsistent. You know, there's either long dry periods and then huge rainfall and then the, the trail continues to erode. And, and really talking about what's happening in your backyard and what you've seen and how that's impacting mm. your family and the places you love. Mm, absolutely. It just, I mean, it's that, yeah, yeah you know, we, we, we're all seeing impacts and being able to describe them and tell them, tell people what, what you're seeing is so powerful. Mm. Where was, where, Maz, where was the tipping point for you? You know, again, it's, it's, it's probably a circuitous route from a dairy farm to physiotherapy to Whistler when what what was the point where you went you know actually i want to be engaged in this and i want to advocate for this because i guess it's 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 part of you know being outside but it must be sometimes feel a pretty thankless task one kind of thing that's really hit home with me is i have um been fortunate enough to travel quite a lot with my skiing and i was competing and going to kind of all around North America, but also to Japan and Europe and Norway and stuff. Um, but in, yeah, 2018, I think, I went to Kyrgyzstan to go skiing. And, um, you know, sometimes we can get kind of sad about not having much snow on the mountains and not being able to ski and not making those kind of powder turns that are so great and and as a ski instructor at my um, business levels were definitely reduced because there was not much snow like I lost you know I definitely lost money um, when there were seasons with not much snow so I personally was impacted with my kind of income and stuff um, but when I went to go skiing in Kyrgyzstan we met a lot of um villagers and kind of subsistence farmers who who live very simply. They contribute extremely little to the climate crisis. Um, you know, in terms of carbon footprints, like they, theirs is mm. negligible. They live in very small houses and, you know, they might only have sort of six sheep to their name. That's, that's all they own. And by selling those six sheep next year, they'll have enough money to feed their family and, and get by. And then they'll have six more lambs and then they'll sell the next six the next season or whatever. Um, but we were talking to a lot of these shepherds and villagers and 
two years ago that had um, kind of like a, a crazy hot spring, so hot, so, so hot and, and very hot very suddenly. And all the snow melted very early and rapidly. And a lot of them lost all of their animals um, in flash floods. And so that's, that's all they own. And then it's just washed away. And then the next winter was really, really, really cold, extremely cold and extremely snowy. And they had to keep their animals, they're kind of like, they're kind of nomadic there and they'd kind of roam around and, and graze them in different valleys depending on the season and stuff. Um, but then in the winter, they'll keep them kind of down in town. And they had to keep their animals down in town for a lot longer. And then they didn't have enough money to pay for hay to feed them for that extra six-week period that they had to keep them there. So then they had to sell them. So then again, they've, they've got nothing. Um, and so just seeing how much more dramatically people have been impacted in different mountain communities and in other areas of the world that just, you know, their lives are really being turned upside down. And then they're, they're moving to the cities because living as a farmer, which is all they know, you know, that's all the skills they have. And then they're having to move to a city where they don't really belong. They don't have any skills to get by there. Um, you know, that just puts, it's just so much more about, I mean, it's so much less about, me being able to have fun skiing mm. um, when you think about it and that when you see those kind of contexts and learn about those stories. Mm. So it, it's, a, it, yeah, that, that's the thing, isn't it? It's that literal sort of, it's an immediate existential crisis rather than a concept. By 2050, uh. you know, this will happen. You go, okay, 2050 is a, a long way away, right? Yeah. Yeah, if we have three degrees of rising by 2050, you know, who cares? But there's people being uprooted yep. and um, mm. forced to leave their homes and families and, and everything they know and move because of climate change in some places. Uh. Mm. Well, thank you for uh, choosing to stand up and actually get involved and advocate and, and you know, and, and do so in a very skillful manner. Um because I guess that's the thing, isn't it? It takes it, it takes a person to sort of shine a light, and and it's, we've got to start somewhere, right? So, Maz, thank you very much for that. And you know, I'm I'm aware that you know it's it's you know we're getting on. There's lightning and thunder about, and you, you know you've been so generous with your time with us. But we'd like to ask you the question that we ask everyone who comes on Dirt Church Radio, and that's Maz Crow. What's been your greatest run ever? Um. So, yeah, so I was in Aspen last summer, so about this time. And there's a kind of four-day-ish backpacking route, kind of like a great walk in New Zealand um, that a lot of people would take three or four days to walk around and do this loop. And it's called the four-pass loop because it goes up and over four passes. And it's kind of crazy because it's, basically exactly a marathon it's 42 point something kilometers and it just that's just how long it happens to be um but then it goes up and over about 3,000 meters of vertical over those four passes and it's all single track and um yeah you go up to passes and then 
down into valleys, but then each of the valleys is is really different as well. Um, and has different scenery and different wildflowers, which is so cool. Um, and yeah, I spent a day running that with a friend last year, and that that was a really cool adventure run experience. Yeah, not jealous at all. Damn it! No, it's, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Just running around my block and revered. I have an additional question. Greatest ever or gnarliest ever wildlife encounter? Oh. Because I'm, th- um, I'm get, you know. Yeah, I was in Alaska and saw um, and saw a orca eating a seal. And it was definitely like a full on National Geographic moment where they were just like ripping it to shreds and there was blood everywhere and they were like, yeah, just devouring it. And there was so much, like the whole ocean was bright red because of the blood from the seal and stuff. That was pretty cool. I don't know. <laughs> I was on a, a boat and really That's safe, a good so one. Yeah. Yeah. In, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's. Um... But I've seen lots of bears, but the, I don't know. I've actually run almost into bears, but never really been scared of them or anything. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so you've nearly run headlong into a bear and you've been like, oh, sweet yeah. ass. But, yeah. yeah, and I definitely ran right around a corner and there was a bear right there and then I just like backed up and it wandered off into the woods. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Whew. We came across a really we came across a really crazy um, uh, kingfisher, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. kingfisher defending I mean, it was, its nest. Yeah. It was very quite, oh, really? quite yeah. No, not at Just all. I mean, like they go, ah, and fly air, past yeah. your head. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like a magpie. Like, was it going to swoop down on you? And No. Not at all. Baby no. ones. They sort of fly anyway. like a good yeah. couple of feet over your head. It's actually quite benign. Yeah. You know what's going to happen. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, everyone's got their own scale you for know, wildlife. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. hey, we, we all it's survived. it's funny because I have so many American friends and they just kind of freak out about New Zealand. They're like, what about the wildlife? Don't you? Don't you get attacked and there's nothing that's so safe yeah. here. <laughs> at the end of your 100 mile, didn't a, pu- a Pukiko jumped out on you, didn't it? You didn't oh, it wasn't my one, but yeah, um, yeah, end of 100 mile race, 100 um, But I was pacing some people yeah. and a Pukiko jumped out. So, you know, don't trust them. Don't trust them. It got his wallet. Yeah, Pukiko. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, look, on that, I guess going from the sublime to the ridiculous. Um, look, Maz, thank you so much for coming on. And, oh, where can people uh, get engaged uh, with POW? Yeah. Um, so I might I might just finish with two calls to action. If cool. That's okay. Do it. Um, so the first call to action is um, to follow us on Instagram because um, that's where we share most of our campaigns. So that's just Protect Our Winters NZ. And um, our most recent kind of campaign is to – send the IPCC report to your MP and we've made it really easy. We've got a template and um, you just kind of fill in the gaps and modify it as you wish and then send it along. And they're really listening. That's really cool. There's more and more getting in touch. Um, So following us on social media, you'll stay in the loop. Um, But then you can join POW as a member and you can do that by going to the website, Protect Our Winters. .nz and it's just $20 for the year to join and there's actually heaps of benefits and the more people we have join as members the louder our voices so then 
we can make submissions kind of on behalf of the community and we can say we're Protector Winters, we represent a thousand members of the outdoor community and we're writing to you um, mm. concerned about X, Y, and Z. Um, and then we're actually we're looking for some uh, trail running ambassadors to help spread our message and share um, the work that Power does, kind of like Claire Gallagher does in the state. Um, you don't have to be as cool as her, but um, if there's anyone out there who is um, maybe a well-known to some extent trail runner and has some sort of reach um, and influence and is concerned about climate change, um, get in touch and we'd love for you to jump on board and share the power message with the trail running community. Brilliant. There we go. Maz, thank you so much. It's been really wonderful to talk to you. And, uh, yeah, I hope that, uh, yeah, I hope we can get this sorted, really. Yeah. Yeah, so you, you guys can both email your MPs after this. I'll send you to. the link. <laughs> Thanks so much. Okay, cheers, Maz. I was hoping for... Um, something mountain lion related, but a. Author. I know you were fishing for mountain lions. <laughs> I could, I could see it in your eyes. I on was, the Zoom I was call. fishing. I was like, "Damn you!" I know where you're yeah. going with this. Damn you! Yeah. Mountain lions of the sea, the orca whale. Anyway, that's right. <laughs> Alas, there were only bears. And there were only bears. That's yeah. right. So, yeah. <laughs> do those call to actions, please. Yeah. Do it. Have a crack. That'd be, that'd be really wonderful if many people could come on board as possible. Yep. Uh, for that, we need your help. And thank you very much for tuning in. We're on social media at Dirt Church Radio, and you can email us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. You can find us on all the podcast platforms, like and subscribe, leave a review if you fancy, and you can download direct from the website, which is dirtchurchradio.com. Don't forget to send in your greatest run ever or your greatest whatever. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, and you can read them on the website too. Thanks to our sponsors, Scott Running, Further Faster, and Cielli. Thank you to our Patreon patrons, and thank you to Wild Things. Thanks to our editor, Kieran. And we've got a great show lined up for next week, so tune in then. Ka kite. Thanks, Rigby. <laughs>